We're going to come now to hear from God's Word. We've just sung God's Word. We're now going to come to read God's Word together. So please do have your Bibles open in front of you uh, to Mark um, chapter 3. We're going to finish Mark chapter 3 today, starting reading at verse 7 and right through to the end of the chapter. So it's a fairly long reading today. As we read, we remember this is God's word. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia, and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them, that they should not make him know. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him, and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my mother, my brother, my sister, and mother. Amen. 
We thank God for this reading from his truth. Well, folks, last week in our sermon and in our passage, we saw the opposition to the Pharisees. Uh, Sorry, the opposition to Jesus come from the Pharisees. And it came to a head because what happened was they went out and plotted with the Herodians to kill Jesus. Well, do have your Bible open at chapter 3 of Mark today. As we look at verse 7, we see something that we've seen before with Jesus. The, The confrontation with the Pharisees, combined with a healing miracle, causes Jesus to withdraw. And he withdraws to the sea. But again, as before, he's not really able to withdraw because the crowds follow him. They are seeking more and more healing miracles from Jesus. And this time, it isn't just a crowd from the immediate area. The crowd come from all over. We're told twice that it's a great multitude. And so in in verse 9, we read that Jesus told the disciples to have a small boat ready for him in case the crowd would overcome him and crush him. Well, the boat is a, the kind of detail which we might pass by very easily. But I think this boat tells us something important. It tells us that Jesus can never be accused of being so heavenly minded that he is of, of, of no earthly use. There's something very practical and earthly about making the preparation of having a boat ready. It shows that for Jesus, Christianity is not just a spiritual religion, which has no use in the physical world, but instead, it's a religion which incorporates the the physical and the spiritual together in a whole new way through the church of Jesus Christ. Last week, again, we, we saw that the problem of the Pharisees was that their religion was earthly. Remember, they they weren't looking up to God. Instead, they were looking around at other people. And they weren't looking forward to the coming of God's kingdom. Instead, they were looking back to their own traditionalism. But I don't want you to think that the kingdom of God is just spiritual. That it's just an inward kingdom. You see, it also has physical and outward structures. We are part of those structures even today. In the church, we have structures. We have membership. We have eldership. We have presbytery and general assembly. We have formal times of worship. We have the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are all important physical aspects of the church. Because what they do is they point us to the inward and spiritual realities of the church. But you can't have one without the other. The church is both. And so the preparations that Jesus makes with the boat actually set the stage for what's coming in the rest of the chapter. Because in our passage today, Jesus is making preparations. He's making preparations for his kingdom on earth. That is the church to be established and to be continued after his death, resurrection, and ascension. 
What I want us to see in this passage today are the kingdom preparations that Jesus is making. And we're going to see them in three areas. In the area of leadership, the area of membership, and the area of fellowship. And I didn't intend the pun of Jesus making the preparation of a boat and these all ending in the word ship. Let's look first of all at leadership. Verses 11 and 12 show us something that's happened before in Mark's Gospel. The, the demons are falling down, the unclean spirits are falling down before Jesus and proclaiming that he is the Son of God. But Jesus tells them not to make him known. Now there's a few reasons why this might be the case. But what I think is that Jesus doesn't want to be associated with the demons. He doesn't want it to be demons telling people who he is. If there's a demon running around telling people Jesus is the Son of God, it's not going to help Jesus' reputation. Being associated with demons is not what he wants for his ministry. But look what we see in the next verses, especially in verse 14. Jesus does want people to be told about him. He doesn't want the demons spreading the word. Instead, Jesus appoints 12 men to be preachers of the gospel. And so in this section, we learn something very important about the ministry of the church. Jesus appoints men to preach the word. At this time in Mark chapter 3, Jesus appointed the 12 apostles. And this is a hugely important, a hugely significant moment for the church. You see, Jesus knows the reason he came to the world was to die for the sins of his people. And he knows that after he rises from the dead, he will ascend into the heavenly places. But he needs the good news of salvation to continue to be spread throughout the world. So here in Mark chapter 3, he appoints the 12 apostles. And these are men who will be responsible for preaching the gospel and for making sure it is spread. It's spread across the world through these 12 men. Now the fact that there are 12, I think, is significant. There are 12 sons of Israel from whom come the 12 tribes. The sons of Israel were the foundation of the Hebrew people, the foundation of God's people on earth at that time. But with the appointing of the 12 apostles, Jesus is deliberately doing something new. He's creating the foundation of the church, the people of God on earth now. The apostles are the ones who will be responsible for establishing and for forming the church in the early days. They will be responsible for spreading the good news through preaching and through writing. It's through these apostles named here, along with the Apostle Paul, that we get the books of the New Testament. And for them, at this time, their authority is in connection with Christ and it's demonstrated that they are connected to Jesus by the fact that he gives them power to do what he has been doing, and that is casting out demons and healing the sick. But while they would become the leadership of the church on earth, 
As we continue through Mark's Gospel, what we're going to see is that they are flawed human beings. They make plenty of mistakes. And so what's remarkable about these men is not that they were great. It's not that they were great in themselves. What's remarkable is that Jesus took such a ragtag, random collection of only 12 men and used them to change the world forever. So much so that here we are. Here we are today, thousands of miles away, thousands of years later, but aren't we still believing the exact same gospel that these men were appointed to preach? So in these verses, Jesus is making earthly preparations for the continuation of his church after his death, after his resurrection, after his ascension. But I don't want us to be fooled by this. Jesus is not gone. Jesus Christ is still, as he was then, the sole king and head of the church. And so today, the apostles, well, they're dead. They've been buried, they're gone. But Jesus is still alive. He's the king of the church. So I don't run the church. The elders of our congregations, they do not run the church. The moderator or the clerk of the General Assembly don't run the church. Jesus runs the church. Jesus runs the church. He governs the church by his word and spirit. And he does that through the ministry of men. But Jesus is running the place. The calling that I and the other elders have accepted is to take the message of Jesus, the message that was entrusted to the twelve apostles, and to share it and to apply it in the life of the people in our congregations. So this is the beginning of Jesus making preparations for his heavenly rule through the leadership of the twelve apostles. But from this point on in Mark, what we're going to learn is that there's a lot of teaching, a lot of molding, a lot of developing that Jesus had to do. That's why we're told here in Mark 3 that Jesus appointed them to be with him so they could learn from him. They're not yet ready for Jesus to leave them. Let's move on then to the next section and see the preparations that Jesus is making in the area of membership. And by membership, what I mean is those who are in the kingdom and those who are not. Every organization, every organization from an earthly standpoint has to have membership criteria. So who is in and who is out? Who's in the church and who is out? Well, before I answer that question, I think it's important to see the point that Jesus makes to the Pharisees. Because the point he's making to the Pharisees is that you're either in or you're against his kingdom. There's no middle ground. You can't sit on the fence. Either you're for Jesus or you're against him. Isn't that what he's saying when he talks about Satan and his demons? You see, the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. But Jesus' response is clear. He, he sort of says, how would that even be possible? 
How could Satan rise up against himself? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And so by casting out demons, Jesus is saying he is definitely not on the side of Satan. He's totally opposed to Satan. And what Jesus is doing is rescuing people, body and soul, from the grip of satanic power. Each time Jesus casts out a demon, he's rescuing an individual person. He's taking them from the hands of Satan. Each exorcism is a demonstration of his opposition to Satan. Here in the Gospels, there's a sort of one-by-one effect, one person at a time. But Jesus knows that one day soon he will go to the cross. He will die for the sins of his people. And in that way, he will bind Satan forever. And he will totally plunder Satan's house. You see, through the death of Jesus, the sins of many are forgiven. And we can be rescued from the hands of Satan. That's what Jesus goes on to say in verse 28. Through his death, all sins will be forgiven for the sons of men, for his people. Then he goes on to explain one sin that cannot be forgiven. See what he says in verse 29. He says, He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. And this is where we come back to answering that question of who's in the church? What is the membership criteria for the church? Who's in and who's out? Who is for Christ? And who is opposed to him? Remember, there's no middle ground. Well, Jesus' teaching here is that all sins can be forgiven. So that's good news. That's good news. That's what brings us into the church, is having our sins forgiven. Maybe you're someone who thinks, you know what, I just can't be forgiven the things that I've done. I've done such bad things. I've, I've done such horrible and wicked and evil things. There's no way I can be forgiven. But Jesus says all sins can be forgiven. And they will be forgiven if you trust in him. There is no sin so great that it cannot be covered with the blood of Jesus. Your sins might go deep. But the grace of God in Jesus Christ goes much deeper. Please don't think you're, you're not good enough to come to Jesus. Please don't think that. That's kind of the point. Membership in the Church of Christ is for people who know they aren't good enough. But we come to Jesus. Because Jesus can forgive us. He can heal us. He can restore us. He can forgive us our sins. But who's out of the church? There's one thing that cannot be forgiven. Jesus says it is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit cannot enter the kingdom of God. Cannot call themselves members of the church. So what is this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, it's actually quite simple. It's unbelief. It's refusing to believe that Jesus and Jesus alone 
has the power to forgive sins. It's being offered salvation through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, but refusing to accept it. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is failure to accept that you need saved and that only Jesus can save you. Here in our passage today, Jesus is making preparations for his church on earth in the area of membership. And he teaches us that in order to be saved, you need to accept that you need saved. There's no place for pride. Isn't that what the Pharisees have in abundance? Jesus is teaching us today, you can't be like them. They are looking for every excuse under the sun not to trust in Jesus. They've even accused him of being satanic. Please don't be like them. Please don't look for excuses not to trust Jesus. I know there will be people hearing this who are worried about coming to Christ because they think their sin is so great and Jesus can't forgive it. I hope I've been clear. Jesus forgives all sin. But there's probably many more people listening to this who don't believe Jesus can save them because they don't actually think they need saving. Friends, let me say this as plainly as I can. You need to know that you are a sinner. And only Jesus can forgive you your sins and rescue you from your sin. We all have sin in us, you and me as, as human beings, we are sinners. Membership in the Church of Christ means accepting that you are a sinner and coming to Jesus, who alone can forgive sin and grant everlasting life. So we have leadership in the Church through Jesus. We have membership in the Church through Jesus. And finally, in verses 31 and following, Jesus makes preparation for fellowship in the church. Now, as we've seen, Jesus is just swamped with people. They are looking him to heal them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, well, they are hounding him, seeking to destroy him. And so, maybe at this point in his life, in his ministry, Jesus didn't see his mother and brothers as much as they would have liked. And in the final section of our passage, they come looking for him. But Jesus' response to them is very interesting. It's maybe not what we would expect. You see what he says after he's told his mother and brothers are looking for him? Look at verse 34. He looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother, my sister, and mother. It's a remarkable thing to say. Jesus is making preparations for fellowship in the church by teaching that those who trust in him, those who do the will of God by trusting in him, well, they are his brothers and sisters. They are his mother. In other words, in the fellowship of the church, we are a family. 
When you're united to Christ through his blood, you're not united to Christ only. You're united to everybody else who trusts in him. Through Jesus, we're a family. Jesus is not talking down his mother and brothers. He's teaching that the church of Christ is a fellowship of people who are united together as a family. I think this is really important for us to grasp hold of, especially in these days. Over the last few hundred years in our country, we've been living through what has been described as Christendom. Now, that doesn't mean that every person was a Christian, but it means that in general, most people accepted the truths of Christianity and they lived as if there is a God who will judge those who break his commandments. The laws of our country, for example, for a long time were based on the Ten Commandments. And so it wasn't hard to find common ground, to even find some kind of fellowship with those outside of the Church of Christ. Because even if they didn't believe in Jesus or, or accept his salvation, well, they probably still lived in line with his teaching. Now, I hope I'm not the one to break it to you, but those days are over. Our laws, our society have drifted from biblical teaching. They have drifted far from biblical teaching. We're no longer living in Christendom. We're living in a world much more similar to that of the early church. Now, there are opportunities in that for us, but there are also difficulties. What it means is that living lives that are distinct as followers of Christ, well, that will set us against those people around us. Now, living distinct lives has always been something God's people are called to do. But for a long time, for many of you who are of an older generation, the difference might not have been as noticeable. But now, today, holding to Christian values, well, that makes us vastly different from our neighbours, from our work colleagues, and yes, even from some family members. So I think it's vitally important for the fellowship of the church, which has been established by Jesus, I think it's important for us to act and to live as a family united to one another through the blood of Christ. The days are coming and in many ways are already here when we need to be as close as a family so that we can face the darkness that is pushing in from all sides. Well, praise God that being a family is not something we have to create for ourselves. The fellowship of the church in and through Jesus has been established by Christ in his preparations for the church on earth. We just need to live as the people that Jesus has made us to be. So, friends, Jesus made earthly preparations. And I hope that we can take courage and strength that he is with us even now through these things that he established on earth, through the leadership of the church, through Jesus. And we have membership in the church through Jesus. We have fellowship in the church through Jesus. All of these were established by Christ. 
in order to sustain us as his people until we are taken to be with him in everlasting glory. Well, let's respond to these things in prayer. Let's pray together.